as a marketer and someone who is focused on growing a business, email marketing certainly is one of the most effective ways of getting the word out there. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. Normally, we interview a best ever guest. We hear their best ever advice and we learn from them. Today, because it's Friday, we're doing a special segment that we normally do on Fridays called Follow Along Friday. And with us on Follow Along Friday is the co-author of our book, The Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 1, and soon to be Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 2, co-author Theo Hicks. How you doing, Theo? I'm doing great, Joe. Look, glad to be back and looking forward to another enlightening conversation. Yeah, let's do it, my friend. And today we're going to be talking about what I got going on in my entrepreneurial endeavors is a whole bunch. Closing on a deal in two weeks in Dallas, and we are buying that property with one investor who has invested in a couple of our other deals and decided that he wanted to be the only investor with us on this deal. So we found something quasi off market and we'll be closing on it in about two weeks. So we're focused on that, working through the final due diligence and getting the legal documents all situated from the operating agreement, etc. Additionally, working on overseeing the process for our takeover of the last property that we bought, which was about two to two and a half weeks ago. And everything is going smoothly there. And then also finalizing the investor updates that I send out by the 14th of every month for each of the properties. I know we briefly talked about that on last Friday. So today, what we're going to focus on for our topic is to discuss the benefits of a podcast, but we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about how to grow the podcast once you have started it. And the reason why we're going to be talking about this is because I've seen firsthand the business benefits of starting a podcast. Therefore, I feel a need to share them with you, best ever listeners, so that you can benefit from this as well should you decide to start your own podcast. And the business benefits, first off, really quickly, I mean, it 
hopefully is pretty obvious, but really quickly, why I started a podcast, and you know what? Who cares about why I started a podcast? The benefits I received from starting a podcast is one, there's more traffic to my website. I'm introduced to more people. Therefore, I'm able to grow my business faster. That's really the bottom line benefit to it. Sure, it's better. It's good for SEO. I get more website hits. My page ranks higher. I'm considered a thought leader in the real estate investing space. I get invited to conferences. I'm actually going to a conference on October the 15th. So when this airs, it's actually tomorrow, October the 15th. So all those things are great, but at the end of the day, it's fulfilling because I enjoy learning from others because it's an interview-based format. And from a business standpoint, I make more money because of the podcast, both from advertising dollars, kind of. As I've talked about before, I basically break even slash lose a little bit of money, but the costs are fixed for the podcast. So over time, it should, as listenership goes up, make me money because the costs are fixed, but the advertising dollars will increase once more listeners continue to grow. But more importantly, through my larger business, multifamily syndication, I get to know people, make new friends, and am a thought leader with my current investors. So it's a lead generator slash way to reinforce the thought leadership angle. So those are the reasons why. Any questions or any thoughts on the benefits deal? I'm just curious. I know before you did the podcast, you were in the business world and marketing for a while. So I'm sure you had some pretty solid communication skills. But I'm just curious, have you felt as if your communication skills have improved over the past couple of years since starting this podcast? Since you're talking to 700 plus people for 30 minutes, one person every single day. I'd say that my interview skills and my smoothness during an interview have improved. I really need to self-reflect, but I'm not sure how much I've improved from a communication standpoint as an effective communicator. I feel like I've pretty much stayed the same, for better or worse, I've pretty much stayed the same, but I do feel like I know how to keep a conversation more active and lively and engaging now that we're on episode 700 and something versus episode two. So there's a difference there for sure. So perhaps if I look myself in the mirror, then maybe I, I reflect on it, no pun intended, then I would be able to see if I've improved from a communication standpoint. But definitely from knowing what questions to ask and how that has evolved is I listen to guests who are on the show and I've actually created questions that are now part of the show that have come from people who I've interviewed or even an intern of mine. So for example, Chris Clothier, who is with Memphis Invest, he mentioned in his interview, it was in one of the 100s, I don't know which one, but it was really early on, he mentioned that he always asked people what's their biggest mistake. And if they don't have a mistake, then they're either lying or they're not experienced enough where he'd want to work with them. Either way, not going to partner with them if they don't have any mistakes. Now, the flip side is you've got to be really careful because some people might say, well, I don't have any mistakes because I wouldn't take back any of those because I've learned from everything. 
you've got to pay attention to that answer because that's understandable because a lot of high achievers don't say that they've made failures. They learn from the things they've had to overcome. But if someone just blatantly says, well, I just don't make mistakes, so I don't really have anything to learn from, blah, blah, blah. That's the big red flag. And I have had two people that I can remember who I've interviewed and their interviews have aired who have said just I've never made a mistake. I don't make mistakes, period. And that's, it's in my mind, raised a red flag to me. But nonetheless, they had good content, so I still wanted to air the interview. And then the other is I had an intern who went to Texas Tech at the time. She was a junior at Texas Tech. PR major, and she mentioned to me that it would be interesting if I asked about how they give back. What is their philanthropic angle, if any? And that resonated with me because of how my approach is. You know, on my vision board on my desktop, it's The Secret to Living is Giving by Tony Robbins. So I incorporated that after she mentioned it. So I think the interview questions have evolved along with keeping engaging. And I'm not sure about the communication style, but perhaps that has as well. That's one of those hard things to really kind of track too, since you're doing it every single day and you're seeing yourself talk every single day. It's difficult to see the massive, any really, I guess really any changes since you're the one that's listening to yourself talk every single day. But I think the biggest mistake one, that's a really good one. That's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I remember when I was preparing for interviews for coming out of college, like everyone knew that question was coming and everyone had to prepare how to answer that question by saying they made a mistake or, or what their weakness is and then making it come across as you're not mm-hmm. someone that's you know going to constantly make this mistake. So it's kind of like a, a game you have to play. So I, it's totally understandable if people want to try to avoid the question because that's kind of how we were programmed coming out of school. But I know whenever, because I, I listen to obviously all of your podcasts and I think that question is kind of one of your biggest questions because... It seems in real estate, there's, I won't say infinite, but there's hundreds of different strategies of, of how to do things right. But what's important is knowing what, I guess, not to do and mm-hmm. learning from other people's mistake. And once you kind of know what not to do, by process of elimination, you can figure out what's right. So I guess on that note, what do you think was your biggest mistake in regards to growing your podcast early on? And then we can get into the ways that you actually did grow your podcast. Yeah, and I'd say that I think it's easier to learn from people's mistakes than their triumphs because when we learn from the mistakes, it tends to be very tactical. Oh, I messed up on this component. I didn't do a reference check, and here's how I would do it next time. Versus when we hear about people's triumphs, it's like, oh, I made seven figures on this wholesale deal and I turned it around in less than three hours or whatever it is. It's like, okay, how do I replicate that versus on the mistakes? Okay. I just need to not do this one thing and instead of do this one thing. So it's more tactical. As far as my biggest mistake when growing this podcast, I'd say that it was not knowing which method would grow it the best and therefore wasting a lot of time on other methods like Facebook ads, for example. And perhaps Facebook ads, I was talking to someone and Facebook ads were helping grow their podcast, but it's not the best way for me to grow mine. 
So I'd say not identifying what leads to growth early on because it wasted a lot of time with me trying and failing at different tactics, one of them being Facebook ads. Okay, that's good to know. So what are the seven ways that you've used to grow your listenership? So number one, and these aren't in any particular order, just how I wrote them down on the page. Number one, email partnerships. And so maybe it is. that <laughs> This is the number one way I've learned to grow the podcast, so perhaps subconsciously they're in order. But the number one way that I've found to gain more listeners is to have someone email to their database good words about my podcast with a call to action to go check it out. I've had other partnerships where people do a shout out on their podcast or they present it to at a meetup group or whatever. But the number one most effective way of seeing results for downloads on a podcast is to have someone email it out and have a link to your show and compel them to go listen to it for XYZ reasons. So would that be like a shout out for a shout out or I guess do you want to give an example of I do it on an ongoing basis so best ever listeners this show along with every other show has one paying sponsor and it also has a call out to a previous best ever guest business and that best ever guest is someone who I interviewed enjoyed their conversation really learned a lot about their business and am confident that their business adds value to our world, our life, our real estate ventures. Therefore, I at the end of every month, we send out an email to the previous month's guests who are in that category I just described, and we say, we'd like to give you free exposure on the podcast in exchange for you sending out one email to your database with a link to my podcast and a couple bullet points on why they should listen. And we do that every single month. So I've got on average, say 25 or so guests every month because some are follow along Friday and we don't have a guest. So I have about 25 or so guests every month. And we send out an email to those guests, assuming that they all qualify based on how I described it earlier. And it's just a built-in promotional machine because there's 25 brand new people every month and most of them will opt in to this and they're sharing it out with their audience through email so it's right in your inbox and in exchange I do a, a shout out on my podcast for their company. That's an amazing one that definitely helps that you do one every single day too because that increases the odds of having someone that meets your criteria to send them out to their email list. What was the criteria again for the one? I have to be confident that their business adds value to the best ever listeners. Two is they need to have at least 1000 subscribers to their email. And then three, that's really at one and two, but I want to mention a third thing is in order to be a guest on the show, They've already got to have a track record and qualify based on how we qualify the guests, which is you need to be someone of integrity, have a successful track record or a compelling story in real estate investing. That's basically it. So assuming that they've made it on the show, then they've already got that. 
So really, it's just a matter of qualifying them once I talk to them and then them having at least a thousand people in their database. I'm sure this next question is probably impossible to answer, but if you had to guess, what percentage of new listeners would you say comes from these email partnerships? You said just guess high level, like half. I can tell you that two Julys ago, so July of 2015, is when I started this. And there was a spike of, I want to say, 50% growth in the first month in total in average listeners a day. But then the next two months, it settled down a little bit to 25% growth. But then it stayed there, and that was my new level. So it increased my growth through one partnership 25% with long-term daily best ever listeners. And a lot of best ever listeners are, are listening to it like, yep, that's how I heard about it through someone's email and now I'm listening. I think that's from a larger standpoint, it also shows how effective email marketing is because it's in the palm of your hand normally and it has staying power versus other things. So as a marketer and someone who is focused on growing a business and many businesses, email marketing certainly is one of the most effective ways of getting the word out there. And so what I do with my paying sponsors is I not only have the ads, but I also include them in our weekly newsletter that gets sent out so that we are giving them the benefit of the email as well. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, that email partnership seems like, for someone that's first starting out, definitely seems like they should probably just focus on that. So when you started this two Julys ago, because I know you have a larger list now, was this kind of the only one you focused on? And then you kind of grew from there, or were you doing all the other ones kind of at the same time? I was testing as much as I could while maintaining sanity because I didn't have all the team members that I have now on board. Now I've got four team members who all touch the podcast in varying capacities. At the time I was trying Facebook ads, I thought that getting a high profile guest, this is another mistake, I thought getting a really high profile guest would increase listenership. It does not. What it does is it gives you the credibility to go get any guest you want on the face of the earth. Once I got Barbara Corcoran and Robert Kiyosaki, I then had the license to go get any guests that I wanted in the real estate investing world. But it did not increase listenership at all. It doesn't bring new listeners in. It simply adds the credibility to your audience and to other potential guests that you might get. Something that, that caught me off guard when I first started podcasting is how tedious editing these things are. Were you doing that in the beginning? Yes. Yeah, I taught myself audacity and I was editing every single episode for the first two or three months. And then I brought on an editor, couldn't afford to pay the editor, so I made a deal with him in exchange for his ads being showcased on my podcast, I would get the free editing. And then we tested that out for two, three months. And then once that was over, lo and behold, I got my first paying sponsor and it paid for the editor. Yeah, I can say, because for me, that's what the majority of the time is spent editing. And that's something that if, if the best of our listeners are going to start a podcast, at least for me personally, I spend a, I spend a lot of time when you first started for those first four months, 
on average, how many hours per week were you spent just on podcasting tasks? Every episode would take 30 minutes to record, 30 minutes to write the show notes, 30 minutes to do the outreach and guest communication. That's an hour and a half. And then probably an hour to actually edit it. So two and a half hours just to produce an episode. Well, then, then you post it and you got to make sure the formatting's fine. Three hours. I'd say a solid three hours per episode was taking place every single day. And I was producing an episode a day. So at minimum, 21 hours a week. Now that's, that's, just, that's so awesome that you just... Because 20 hours a week on top of whatever else you were doing and you just, for four months, just, just kept after it. I'm, that's cool it went that long before reaching out to someone. But anyways, so what are some of the other ways that you've, you've, you've grown your listenership besides the email partnership, which seems to be the number one way to do it and what I'm going to do the second we get off this call? <laughs> so number two is set expectations with the audience on the consistency that you have. It's okay not to do a daily show and not be a crazy dude like me. If you need to do it less frequently, like weekly or monthly, that's fine. But make sure your audience knows when to expect the episode coming out. Otherwise, it's just going to be random and they're not going to know when to tune in. You won't start conditioning them for when to look out for the episode. Therefore, you have to set expectations. It could be, hey, every other Tuesday, we're going to do an episode. Get ready. It not only does it set your expectations with the audience, but it also sets expectations for yourself so that you are held accountable to it. I guarantee you, if I didn't tell everyone I have a daily podcast, I guarantee you there have been days where I've been sick or where I have other things going on and the show would not have been as consistent and daily like it has been if I didn't set the standard for myself. So hold yourself and hold and have the audience hold you accountable for the frequency in which you send out the episodes. Mm, yeah, that's another really good one, especially in regards to the holding yourself accountable because if you just tell yourself you're going to do it, that's one thing. But once other people are involved, then you got to kind of do it for them too and then you don't want to let them down. So that's also a great technique. Number three is peak curiosity with the title. I'm getting very tactical here, but if you have a title that's like a BuzzFeed article title, then you're going to do well. If you have a title that does not peak curiosity, then you're not going to really do well. I'm in the process actually of doing an analysis of the top 15 episodes and the bottom 15 episodes in terms of downloads. So... I'm going to get more information on that, but just look up BuzzFeed and try to model your headlines after BuzzFeed headlines, and you'll have more intrigue. And then the fourth one ties into that, and that is the first sentence in the description should be very compelling. I recently did an analysis. This was last week of our past like 30 episodes, and I noticed that the first sentence in the description was basically the same thing where it said, in this episode, we talk, or today's episode, blah, blah, blah. And it's just not interesting. But we did do some interesting things where we had a headline like, how did he close on five deals at the age of 19? 
And then the first line in the description was, can you believe it only took him to 19 years to close on five deals? Here's how he did it. That's much more compelling than in today's episode. We're going to talk to someone who, because there's only a short amount of attention span that people have, especially now. So we've got to be really succinct with what we say and make sure every word counts. So I guess try to have your, your first sentence play off of your title so to speak right to peak your exactly. title yeah. and then have it you know your first sentence will just increase that curiosity even more with a compelling question or statement that plays off of the title yep number five distribution channels there's many more distribution channels than just itunes and it's important to be on those distribution channels for example google play for example having an app for your podcast so that it can reach other people. Best ever listeners, all you have to do to get this show is just Google my name, Joe Fairless, in the app store. And there's an app that we've created for this show, and you can just download the app. It's a really cool app, and it's got some bonus features to it as well with exclusive content. So... Make sure that when we have content that we are creating or identifying distribution channels that once they're set up, then you can forget about it and it's just getting more exposure. It's one thing if you have to constantly maintain it, but if you have distribution channels, and this can be with anything, not just a podcast, but if you have distribution channels that you're not tapping into and all you have to do is set them up, then it's a major miss because it's a one-and-done thing. So look for all the distribution channels and make sure they're set up. Number six is listen to other podcasts and find your niche. It's important to know what the competition's doing and then also just the best-in-class podcasts. I listen to Bigger Pockets, but I also listen to Serial and I listened to Joe Rogan and others. I listened to Joe Rogan once. I did not like that podcast at all. I'm sure a lot of best ever listeners do, but I just wasn't digging it. But I listened to Serial. The ending was kind of weak. But nonetheless, I listened to the whole thing and I was engaged throughout. And I learned what was making that podcast successful and what wasn't. And that's a whole nother topic really quick, high level. It's cool to have interviews that are seemingly in real time because they're like recording the interviews and then you go back and forth on commentary. It's telling a story and you're engaged from episode to episode as it continues through the storyline versus you know what I do, which are one-off episodes that aren't really connected to each other. So th there's a really big difference and that's one of the reasons why Serial was so effective. There are others. So I try to learn from those podcasts and from the best in class. And I find my niche and specifically what I did after doing that analysis is I made mine daily. No one else was doing it daily. And there was Entrepreneur on Fire, which was an entrepreneurial daily podcast, but no one was doing the real estate investing podcast daily. And then lastly, take parts of shows that work for you. So this kind of ties in number six. And then apply it to your show. So take parts of the shows that work and then apply it to what you're doing. For example, a lightning round. I've heard a lightning round on Entrepreneur on Fire on other podcasts and it made sense to do on this podcast because 
it gets good information out in a short period of time. So I applied that and then I was listening to Tim Ferriss podcast the other day and he talked about really good questions to ask when you're trying to learn something, ask someone, if you were to train me for a competition and we had four weeks, what would be the biggest waste of our time that most people would actually do? And asking questions like that, which I might start incorporating that question, asking questions like that in the lightning round allows us to get good information in a short period of time. So those are the seven ways to grow your podcast. And again, having a podcast is going to be very helpful for us as thought leaders in the space. But then even with those seven, if you're not wanting to do a podcast, some of these areas of how to grow a podcast can certainly be applied to how to grow your email list or how to grow your social media following. There are lessons that we can apply to that and grow our XYZ, whatever we're trying to accomplish. So that's the show for today. Theo, any final thoughts? I just have one quick last question for you. For a best ever listener that's looking to start a podcast, what would be the first step that they should do after listening to us kind of go over all the different marketing techniques? What's the first thing they should do right now if they want to start a podcast? I love this question because you always want to do some action towards your goal when you have the idea. I'd say the first step should be to just create an outline for, okay, it's, it's going to start with me interviewing someone and here's some questions I'm going to ask. And here's the outcome for why, why I'm doing this podcast. So what do I want to get out of it and how will I benefit and how will others benefit? So not only create an outline, but also create why you're doing it and why others will benefit as a result of you doing it, because we'll do a lot more for others than we will just for ourselves. If I could add one more thing to that, what finally got me to at least start my podcast after months of procrastination is actually buying a microphone. I bought a microphone, mm -hmm. and so I saw that thing sitting there every single day. I'm just like, you're going to pick that up today, Theo? You're going to pick it up? It's staring at you. <laughs> you have that thing once you got that mic there it you, I don't you, just, you feel magnetized and drawn to actually start talking and once you actually start talking you realize you know it's not as big of a deal as you thought it was your voice doesn't sound as stupid as you thought it sounded so on and so forth and that's that was a big one for me so just wanted to add mm. that on there yeah that's great best ever listeners if you go to joefairless.com and under the meet joe Header, there's Joe's Rex, J-O-E-S, possibly S, Rex, R-E-C-S. It says the items I have as a podcaster, so the ATR 2100 microphone, the earphones, the mic stand, and the different services I use. So you can go to my website and check out those different things. So that being said, best ever listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. I hope this was valuable, especially for those future or current podcasters or anyone who's looking to grow your exposure, your presence within the real estate circle. This will be helpful for you. So have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Empire Industries, a national award-winning company and the fastest growing property management company in Houston would like to offer you, best ever listener, a 30-day love us or leave us guarantee. Contact Empire Industries at 
888-866-6727 for more info. That's 888-866-6727.